Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Okay. So, uh, I'm going to be sharing from uh, Mark chapter 5 a little bit. Who of you know that God is a warrior? Who of you know that uh, Jesus kicks butt? Spiritually speaking, of course. Uh, and, and the reason for that is because God has enemies. And God's enemies are our enemies. Uh, there's evil in the world. I, th- I, th- I think I, I heard someone say that um, the doctrine of evil and sin is the most empirically verifiable doctrine in the Bible. We can see it around us every day. I think our, um, our court system and, and our, our uh, prison overpopulation is testimony to the reality also that we don't always deal with the reality of sin and evil very well as modern people. According to a pollster, George Barner, the notion of Satan or the devil, uh, the notion that Satan or the devil is a real being who can influence people's lives is regarded as hogwash by most Americans. Only one quarter, 27%, strongly believe that Satan is real, while the majority argues that he is merely a symbol of evil. C.S. Lewis wrote, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both errors and hail a materialist, a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Uh, I, I once recently spoke to a, to a friend and he said, he was speaking to a, 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 I think it was a Baptist lady, you know, from sort of a conservative, Bible-believing but conservative Baptist background. So she was reading a Bible and, and obviously in the Gospels noticing that Jesus and the, and the disciples have multiple, you know, many encounters with, with demons. And she asked, why are there so, so much less demons today than there were in Jesus' day? <laughs> you know, you, you almost wonder, you know, did they go extinct? <laughs> Now, I, I, don't think, I don't think demons procreate like humans, so obviously they are more humans. So maybe the, the human-to-demon ratio is a bit different, but <laughs> the demons are still around. I, I just think as modern people and because of our modern society and the fact that so much evil is quite acceptable in our modern society, we don't tend to see or notice demonic activity or I almost want to say the media and popular culture has almost normalized what is demonic, and, and so we don't see it as strange sometimes. So our modern conception of evil is often too shallow and naive, uh, and it's unable to prepare us to face or even endure the reality of evil. In, you know, if, if you underestimate an enemy, you will always um, lose the battle. We cannot afford to underestimate the enemy. And this, this passage in Mark chapter twenty from verse one to sorry, Mark chapter five from verse one to to twenty goes a long way, I think, to correcting some of the misconceptions and some of the shallow and naive beliefs we have about evil. So let's read that. I'm reading from the NIV. I think it should be up on the screen as well. There we go. It says they they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. 
When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it, the peop- uh, told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not le- let him, but said, Go home to your own people and let them uh, and tell them, how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, Decapolis, which means ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Lord God, we just thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord, just for the ancient and abiding wisdom that it contains. Thank you, Lord, just for its power and its beauty, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that it instructs our hearts and encourages our hearts with your truth and your love for us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that that we will experience all of that this morning as we look at your word. Please teach us, Holy Spirit. Please lead us into all truth. And please allow us to experience your presence and your power and your mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, this passage shows us a few things about, firstly, the nature of evil, then the defeat of evil, and then the effects of that defeat. So those are sort of the three main things I want to look at. Uh, the nature of evil. The passage shows us the true nature of evil. Firstly, it shows us that evil is more complex than our modern conception of evil often allows for. Uh, we, we read about demons and stuff in the Bible, and often, ironically, 
as modern people, many modern people tend to think, oh, you know, Jesus is being a bit naive. Jesus is ignorant. Jesus and his disciples are ignorant. They don't know. In those days, they didn't know about viruses, and they didn't know about mental illness. And then they thought, you know, in, in their ignorance, they, they said that, uh, they, they tried to describe it and explain it spiritually, so they said that demons cause disease and demons cause mental illness. Today we know better. And, you know, that is just plain not true. Let me just read you another passage in, uh, or verse in, in Matthew 4, verse 24. You can just make a note of it if you're taking notes. Um, I didn't put it up on the screen. It says, News about Jesus spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Now, when it says those having seizures... Um, it's, it's not a very good translation. Um, it literally means those who are moonstruck or those who are affected by the moon. In other words, those who have mental illnesses. So here he mentions those who have diseases, the, you know, mentions an example or two, paralysis, pain, all that kind of stuff. It mentions those who have mental illnesses, who are moonstruck, and those who are demon-possessed separately. So, so Jesus didn't conflate disease, both physical and mental disease, with demonization. Jesus acknowledged that there were physical and psychological illnesses that were not caused by demons, but then there were also physical and psychological illnesses that were caused by demons. In other words, Jesus' view and the ancient view of sickness was not as naive and ignorant as we think at all um, Jesus acknowledged both natural and spiritual causes of physical and mental um, illnesses evil is what we see in this passage because I mean you get different theories about evil some will say evil is psychologi uh, um, yeah, psychological but, I mean, where does that evil then come from, you know, um, especially if you believe in, say, evolution and only natural causes for human beings, okay? Some will say, yes, okay, you know, evil is, is, is physical, you know, it's, in, it's built into our DNA. But <laughs> how did evil evolve through random processes of evolution, supposedly? I mean, it, that, that's an irrational view, okay? Um, some would say, no, it's sociological, you know, we get conditioned by society to be evil. Okay, but if society is made up of individuals, humans, who are the effect, you know, just the net effect if you're a materialist and evolutionist, of only your physical makeup and your DNA, where did that evil in the individuals came from which became evil in society? Once again, it, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't... It doesn't work. So what, what, what this passage shows us is, firstly, behind the, the psychological, the sociological, the physiological evil, there's evil that is spiritual and personal. So it, 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 it shows us that, I mean, very subtly, uh, I must warn you, Mark, I like actually. I never liked Mark's gospel. It was my least favorite gospel, 
until I one day really started digging into it over an extended period of time and studying it, and I realized Mark, I, I missed what Mark was saying just because Mark was subtle. Mark is a good storyteller, so he would show, not tell. So sometimes he'll subtly show things, and and then we must be on the lookout for it and, and, and really pick up what he says. So, so at the end of the story, he says, he talks about, go and tell the people how God has had mercy on you. What, what is mercy? Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve, right? When you deserve punishment, then you, what do you say? Have mercy on me. Don't give me the punishment I deserve. So when Jesus said, Go and tell God how much mercy... Go and tell your, 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 your people, the, you know, people close to you, your, your friends and your neighbors and so on. Go and tell them how much mercy God has had on you. He's saying, you deserved this judgment that came upon you, this oppression that came upon you, this, this cruel oppression. You actually deserved it. In other words, he did evil that invited the evil in his life. Mark doesn't tell us what it was, but he did evil. So, so he's saying evil is personal. This, this man who was a victim, ultimately, of these demons, was himself evil, and through his evil allowed the evil into his life. So evil is individual and personal. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's psychological. It talks about later on he was in his right mind, but before that he wasn't. So there's a psychological dimension to it. Uh, it's, um, it, it can certainly be physiological. I mean, Jesus doesn't deny the fact that there are diseases and all kinds of Suffering and evil that is not caused spiritually by diseases, but that is genetically and physiologically um, caused. Uh, it's sociological. I mean, the on uh, we, we started last last week to um, sort of prepare for liberty, which which we have this weekend, Friday and Saturday, and that's our course uh, during which we we trust God for for deliverance and for freedom and for uh, just breaking yokes and bondages of our lives. And, and we, we looked at this story, or we, we at least referred to it, and someone asked, but why did Jesus allow the demons to go into the pigs? Okay? One of the reasons was, and as I was thinking it during the week, I, I, came, I, I realized there was another one, but, but one of the reasons was, clearly these locals here, who were most probably Gentiles, because Jews didn't eat pigs, and they didn't farm with pigs either, but, but they loved their pigs and valued their pigs and the financial benefit that came with it more than this demon-possessed man. I mean, that's very clear. So, so there was an idolatry, a financial, economic idolatry. And, and I think one of the reasons why Jesus allowed the demons to go into the pigs and, you know, the pigs ran into the lake and drowned was Jesus was confronting that sociological aspect of evil that corporate idolatry. Because pigs represented money, farming and money. And Jesus was taking it on, exposing it firstly, but also confronting it. So, so this passage tells us that, yes, there is sociological evil as well. So what, what I'm trying to say is our modern view of evil is too naive and shallow. And, and Jesus and, and, the, and the early Christians and the writers of the gospel had a much more holistic and deep um, view of what evil really is. So some people will say, you know, they'll try and deny the existence of evil, personal spiritual evil, demonic forces. 
And they'll say, no, you know, like I said, you know, it's, it's just Jesus' misunderstanding of psychological um, illnesses that he's, you know, naming demons. Or, uh, no, it's just symbolic of evil. You know, they don't real demons, etc. But you have to sell, ask yourself a question in light of Mark's account here, which is, by the way, eyewitness testimonies. And not only Peter and the early disciples who were positive eyewitnesses, but also the pig herders who were hostile eyewitnesses. All of them saw it. The whole countryside and all the locals came out to see what was going on. There were lots of eyewitnesses. And not all of them were, I mean, most of them told Jesus to leave. They, they were hostile eyewitnesses. Okay? You've got to ask yourself this question. If all... Let me think how, 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 how I should put this now. Um, if all mental illness is only physical and psychological damage, as many people, modern people, tend to think, then what caused those pigs, those 2,000-odd pigs, to run into the lake. What drove that herd of pigs into the lake? Did, did the man, did, he, did his psychological damage get transferred to the pigs? Did his, if, he, if he had brain damage, did his brain damage get transferred to the herd of 2,000 pigs? <laughs> Some might say, you know, it's still trying to defend their indefensible worldview that there's only the physical... You know, there's no spiritual. They'll say, no, 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 no. Um, probably when this guy got healed, he screamed and shouted, because, I mean, it says he screamed and shouted, and the pigs got startled and they all ran away. Hang on a moment. <laughs> when it happened, the pig herders also ran. But where did the pig herders run? All over the place. They scattered. Some ran to the city, some to the countryside. They scattered. When you're scared, you don't all run in the same direction. You run in different directions. Okay? So the pig herders scattered, but the pigs didn't scatter. So they weren't just startled. They all ran in the same direction into the lake against their nature, jumping into the lake and drowning and dying. And, and I think that's the second reason why Jesus allowed the demons to go into the pigs. It's to leave the eyewitnesses, especially the hostile eyewitnesses at that time, but also us reading their eyewitness testimony a few thousand years later to, to prevent us from denying the fact that personal, spiritual, evil beings left that man and went into the pigs and drove them all in the same direction into the same lake at the same time. The evidence is hard to deny. So Christianity has the most holistic understanding of evil and the most holistic approach to the defeat of evil. It also shows us how evil works. It doesn't just show us the nature of evil, that um, you know, behind there's a, there's a um, what shall we call it, um, There's a spiritual, personal evil behind all other evils, but it also shows us how that evil works. Here's how it works. It shows us that evil will give to you, but it will always take more than it gives. 
Look, look at the story. This man, I mean, as he, became, he lost control, you know, they started binding him with chains. And the evil in him, the, the impure spirit in him, gave him super strength. I mean, this guy was Superman. He was the Incredible Hulk. He was ripping chains apart and breaking the irons with which he was shackled off his, his feet, off his ankles. And evil will always do that. So, so the evil would have been saying to him, look, I'm setting you free. I'm giving you the power to set yourself free, to break free from these chains. This is what I'm giving you. But what is it taking away? And by the way, I've noticed, you know, um, maybe I should just say this. Maybe some of you are a little bit afraid of what we're talking about, you know, um, demonic evil. Maybe some of you are a bit skeptical about it. But what I, what I want to show you from this is not only is demonic evil real, but did you notice how scared that demonic evil is of Jesus? I mean, more than anything else, that's the one thing that you need to notice. I mean, yes, the locals were scared of the demons and of the demon-possessed man, but the demon-possessed man and the demons were scared of Jesus. Okay? And when we're in Jesus, we're safe. Okay? But I've noticed um, a few times in a few different... There was this one guy who came to our small group when we were still in, in um, Simonsberg in, in Stellenbosch. Um, and and he, was, he was a Christian, at least nominally. I think he was in... in um, what's that church in, in, in Pretoria? I can't remember. But one of those churches in Pretoria. And, um, but he started... You know, Simonsberg was like the naughty boy hostel. The bad boy hostel. The drinkers. And if you weren't a bad boy when you got there, they turned you into a bad boy. At least they tried. And, and they were, he worked with this guy. His name was Ian. Uh, I remember he had this big bush of blonde, blonde hair. And he started, you know, partying, drinking, eventually started going to raves and stuff and using drugs. And then he started discovering, him and his friend, that they could telepathically communicate with each other. And obviously it was just two different demons putting the same thought into their heads at the same time. But, you know, they thought that was really cool. They have a superpower now. They can, they can communicate telepathically, but they, it soon lost its pleasure because this guy came to us begging us to pray for him because he's, all of a sudden this demon was taking over every part of his life and messing up every part of his life, and he became really scared. Um, I had a, a, another friend, Gary, who was... Um, he lived on the street for about eight years as a barchi, and, and he used to use a lot of drugs. And he said he had a superpower where he could, we could go into the chemist, and he says chemists are the, the biggest you know, distributors of dope in South Africa. His words, not mine. Sorry if you're a chemist. <laughs> I think you get good chemists who, who, who stick to the rules and some who don't. But, but he, he could supernaturally tell, without looking around, he could tell when no one was looking at him and when it was safe to take something and put it in his pocket and walk out. After he got deliverance, he lost that. So, so the devil will always give something to you. You know? I, I mean, we've all heard of people who, who the devil says, I'll make you rich and famous if you sell your soul to me. I mean, the devil even did the same to Jesus. What did he say to him? I'll give you the kingdoms of the world if you just fall down and worship me. He always gives, but he wants, always wants to take away more than he gives. Now, it's the same with this guy. He said, I'll give you super strength. And 
freedom from, from these chains and stuff with which people bind you. But what did he lose? Firstly, he lost his pure and, and straight thinking. He, um, he, 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 was, he became victim to compulsive, impure thoughts. Um, his, his, his desires were perverted and he developed a fascination for death. That's why I lived amongst the tombs. He didn't only visit the tombs, he lived amongst the tombs. He developed antisocial behavior. Luke um, 8 verse 29, the same story. Luke tells us the, 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 the demon drove him into solitary places. I mean, Mark implies that by saying he drove him to the tombs and he, he lived amongst the tombs. Uh, Luke just says it explicitly. The devil will drive you into isolation. He will drive you. He'll compel you to isolate yourself. How many of you have experienced that? Because, I mean, let's be honest. Most of us can say, neither me nor my friends sleep naked in this, you know, amongst the tombs. <laughs> We're not where this guy was. Yes, but we are tempted often to be driven into isolation, to isolate ourselves from community and from the people who care for us. Um. So anti antisocial behavior, you know, he was amongst the tombs. He was crying out night and day. When Jesus spoke to him, you know, in a normal conversation and probably in a normal tone, it wasn't an argument or a fight. He was screaming, shouting at the top of his voice. So he'd lost his ability to normally socially interact. Or it was damaged. And he, and he behaved in, in ways that were antisocial and socially in, inappropriate. Violent behavior. It says in Luke that the people of the area were so scared they didn't go to, to the tombs. They avoided that area because this guy had become so violent. Uh, or actually, Matthew says that. Sorry, not Luke. Matthew says that. Um, he wasn't wearing clothes. That's antisocial behavior. <laughs> he was naked. And, and, and Luke says he hadn't worn clothes or lived in a house for many years, for a long time. Okay? Uh, not only that, but it, but it led also to self-destructive behavior. He was self-harming. He was cutting himself with stones. And because demons hate God, but they cannot hurt God, but we are created in the image of God and we remind them of God, they know the only way they can hurt God is by hurting us. So demonization and demon, demonic influence and activity will always lead to self-harm. I mean, this is an extreme case of cutting uh, yourself, but I mean... It, we know that happens very often in, 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 in modern society as well. Of course, we would, you know, many modern people, many modern doctors would try and deny the, the possible spiritual causes of it and say it's only psychological or only, only physical or whatever. Um, but the reality is when, when demonic forces start influencing your life, one of the way, things they want to influence you to do is to hurt yourself, to harm yourself. I mean, even the pigs... <laughs> What did they do? They committed suicide. They ran into the lake and drowned. So, so you know, the, the, the devil will often bring those suicidal thoughts or self-harming thoughts. Or even, you know, uh, I realized this, um, you know, I, I, once when, when I was speaking to Izan, and Izan mentioned, you know, our internal verbal abuse. Sometimes we speak to ourselves in our minds in ways we'll speak to no one else. You idiot! How can you be so stupid? You know? You'll never say that to anyone else, but you say it to yourself. And often, you know, it's demons, you know, 
getting, trying to get us to psychologically harm ourselves and attack ourselves. Um, self-destructive behavior. Then imposed identity. The demons imposed their identity on the man. The demons call themselves legion, for they were many, but the afflicted man, if you go and look in, uh, at the end of 5 verse 18, it just says the man who was demon-possessed. His name is never given. So, so the demons will impose their identity and their character on you if you allow them deep enough into your life. And I've, I've seen this. I've seen people's identity literally change. So, so um, a lust, a demon of lust, will not only cause you to act lustfully, but to see yourself as such. It, 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 demons can, can cause you to change your gender identity. And I've seen this. I've literally seen people under, after deliverance undergo changes that are astonishing, where, where maybe a guy's voice was really high-pitched and all of a sudden it became more masculine without them even trying. So, so, so demons often impose their identity or try and impose their identity on you. So, so they, uh, they, they, don't, they, they give supposedly freedom from external chains, but they, they shackle you with all kinds of internal and invisible chains that hold you captive. Psychological disorders. I mean, this is a, this, one psychologist would probably call this a classical case of split personalities or multiple personality disorder. Um, but when the demons left, he had only one personality. Okay? Hyper-religious fervor. Uh, he wasn't in his right mind. Uh, overwhelming negative emotions and desires like fear, anger, the, the, leading to the violence, lust, bitterness, hatred, a lack of peace. Uh, in the beginning, he was running to Jesus and shouting at the top of his voice. At the end, he was sitting down quietly, peacefully at Jesus' feet. So, evilly, evil can initially be contained by people, but it cannot be cured. It said no one could bind him. And, and, and ultimately, they stopped trying to cure him, and they only tried to restrain him, bind him with shackles. And um, real personal evil that I'm talking about here, demonic evil, people can only ultimately treat the symptoms or do damage control. It said... And, and Mark, I think, is the only one who, who says this explicitly. No one could bind him. No one could help him until Jesus came along. Until Jesus came along. People can at best treat the symptoms or restrain the evil, but they cannot cure it. But, but here's a, a, a thing that, that this thing tells us that is a bit scary. It, it shows us that evil is progressive if, if, if it goes unchecked. Um, we would say... You know, like I said, neither me nor I, my friend, my friend sleep naked among the tombs. So this is an extreme case, you know. It doesn't apply to us. But notice what it says. It says, no one could bind him anymore. When you notice that, you start thinking about that anymore and what it means. It, it's a little bit scary. This guy's situation became worse. He was becoming stronger. Initially, they could bind him with chains. But the more demons there were, the more demons they let in, the stronger he became, and they could no longer bind him. Evil is progressive. In other words, what that tells us is that evil is on a spectrum, and the influence of evil in our lives is on a spectrum. And yes, he might be at the extreme end of a spectrum, but all of us are somewhere along the line of that spectrum. Some of us 
if we don't, you know, the, the little indulgences that we allow ourselves, if we don't check that, we will move towards that same extreme on the spectrum. And therefore, we need to take care and look at this. Okay, so we can't dismiss this account as merely an extreme case that doesn't apply to us. Our symptoms may be more mild and less obvious, but they might still, if left unchecked, go in that same direction. So, now we understand the problem a bit better. So, what, how can it be solved? The defeat of evil. I want to try and go a little bit quicker. Um, firstly, notice that Jesus comes to this man in his uncleanness. He's an unclean man living amongst unclean tombs. If you, if you went to the tombs, if you were a Jew, you, you became unclean for seven days and, and, and you first had to go through cleansing. So, so he was an unclean man living amongst unclean tombs, amongst unclean Gentiles who ate unclean pigs and he had, un, he had unclean spirits inside of him. So, I mean, the uncleanness is overwhelming. Jesus doesn't avoid the uncleanness. He, he, he walks into it. He comes with his boat across the lake and he goes into, he presses into this man's uncleanness. The first step to the solution is always Jesus taking the initiative to come to us. And for many of you, Jesus is this morning coming to you and saying, I'm coming into your uncleanness. I'm coming into your uncleanness to help you deal with it. The second step is that like the demon-possessed man, when Jesus comes to us, we must meet him with our problem. This guy didn't try and hide, you know, and act all respectable and so on. <laughs> and he didn't allow even this legion, and, and a Roman legion was roughly 6,000 soldiers, so he, he might have had in, in the ballpark of 6,000 demons inside of him, okay, which means each, each of the 2,000 pigs had at least three demons. <laughs> but... This guy comes and he doesn't even allow this legion of demons to stop him from coming to Jesus and falling down and worshipping him. Don't allow your uncleanness and your bondage to keep you away from Jesus. Don't hide it from Jesus. Don't try and pretend that it's not as bad as it is. Just come to Jesus as you are. Bring your bondage. Bring your hurt. Bring your brokenness. Bring your uncleanness. Bring your perversion. Bring anything. You're not going to shock Jesus with it. He's God for crying out loud. He's all-knowing. He already knows about it. Just bring it to Him. Come to Him. Meet Him. Bring your unsorted out self to Jesus. Naked, possessed, hurt, guilty, this guy came just as he is. And that's the way we must come. Whereas other people in, in society could hardly restrain Him, uh, just keep, uh, and, and they just tried to keep away from Him, Jesus actually cured Him. Now, in those days, even before Jesus came onto the scene, Jews were casting out demons, and even people from pagan cultures were casting out demons, because what you need to cast out a demon where, that has spiritual power and authority is another spiritual force with higher spiritual power and authority. Satanists can also cast out demons, but that's not a very good idea, because if they cast them out, they'll come back. We read that elsewhere in the Bible. But if, 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 you know, I've dealt with this a little bit, but if a Satanist has a stronger demon than a demon that is in you, they'll often 
this is what they'll do. They'll try and steal one another's superpowers by stealing each other's demons. So I have a stronger demon. I go and force, my demon forces your demon to come in me. Now I have more demons, but I also have more superpowers. That's literally what they, what they do. Okay? Now listen to what this demon says to Jesus. He says to, to him, What do I have to do with you, son of the most high God? which was a term used not only in Judaism for the God of the Bible, but also amongst pagans for the God of the Bible. If they wanted to refer to Yahweh, the God of the Bible, they'll call him the Most High God. In other words, he's the Most High God with the Most Highest power and authority. And that's why this demon is so terrified of him, or these demons are so terrified of him. It's because he has so much, his, his authority and his power is so much greater than theirs. Note that even the, the, the locals were afraid of the demons, but the demons were afraid of Jesus. They were terrified of him. And, and not because of his behavior, not because of anything he did, but because of who he was. He's the son of the most high God. We should expect some resistance. Notice that even Jesus had said to, the, to this demon, come out of this man, you unclean spirit, but he didn't leave immediately. The demon actually says to him, you know, in God's name, you know, for, for God's sake, don't torture me. Don't torment me. What, what does that mean? That means that, that demons experience being expelled from the human host as torment or torture. That's why they don't want to leave. They want to stay there. And there'll be some resistance. And as we confront evil demonic forces in the name of Jesus, we should expect some resistance. We shouldn't be surprised if they resist us. But they have to ultimately bow to the higher authority and power of the Son of the Most High God. And that's why Jesus, I'm not going to read it now, but in, in, later on in, in, in Mark and so on, it talks about not only his disciples, and in Luke, not only his disciples casting out demons, but even outsiders who weren't active disciples of Jesus casting out demons in Jesus' name. And then the disciples said, we tried to stop him. Jesus said, no, don't stop them. If they cast out a demon in my name, they can't later on say bad things about me. <laughs> you know? So, so this was not just something that Jesus could do. His disciples and even people who weren't physically following him but believed in him, you know, could cast out demons in his name. Okay. And then the, the Lord... Um, how does this defeat of evil work? Jesus doesn't only defeat the evil with his higher authority and power, but he also, in a sense, deals with the effects of that evil and, and those demons. Do you notice the big change between this demon-possessed guy before and after? And, and Jesus describes it as such. He says, go to your home and tell your people how the Lord has had mercy on you. Now, like I said, mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. So what Jesus was implying and very subtly saying to him is, you deserve this oppression, but I took it away from you. Now, if he, if this demon-possessed guy didn't get what he deserved, who did receive what he deserved? And if you look carefully, Mark actually goes out of his way to show us how Jesus, he very subtly but powerfully shows us, 
that Jesus bore the effects of this man's demon possession on the cross. Now, I'm not saying Jesus was demon-possessed on the cross. He wasn't. But he bore strikingly similar effects. Number one, he was naked on the cross, just like this man was naked. Number two, he was cut. Now, he didn't cut himself with stone, but he was cut with whips, with metal bits and bits of bone tied into them. His back was cut open. Thirdly, he was bound to the cross and nailed to it. Not bound with chains, but, but bound with nails to the cross. This guy screamed at the top of his voice. Some of the translators often try and soften it, but when Jesus was on the cross, he, sh- he screamed, he shrieked. That, literally, that's what the word means. It's the same word. He, his identity was questioned. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross and show us. He was isolated and rejected. He was crucified outside the city. His disciples deserted him. He was accused of having a demon himself in Mark 3 verse 22 and driving out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. He was killed, just like the demons killed the pigs. Jesus was killed. And Jesus didn't just live amongst the tombs. He, was, he died and was put in a tomb. Can you see how subtly Mark is showing us how Jesus, innocent though he was, bore the severe effects of this man's demon possession so that he could deliver this man from it? That is the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus received what we deserved so that we can receive what he deserved as we surrender our lives to him. Okay, now just in closing, what are the effects of that defeat of evil? Note the marks or effects of deliverance. And this is very encouraging to me. This is really very encouraging. Uh, And I want to encourage you with this because this is a picture also of what God wants to do in our lives, what God wants to do in your life. Yes, your symptoms and the influence of the devil in your life might be much more mild and much less obvious than in this guy's life. That, That might be true. But in all of our lives, I would venture to say that there are, there's some influence of the devil in our lives. Jesus was probably the only one who could say that the evil one has no place in me. He has no hold on me. So, number one, he was sitting there. In other words, he was at peace compared to his previous turmoil. Sitting down in peace. Not running around shouting, screaming. Sitting in peace. Okay? Secondly, he was dressed. You know, some of, some of you are afraid that if you stop submitting to your old master and come to, to Jesus as your new master, he will expose you. No. Your demonic masters will expose you and leave you naked. Jesus is a good master. He will clothe you and cover you. He will protect you. And I've seen it so many times. Demons try to expose and shame people. Jesus does the opposite. He covers and protects people. So it says, and he was in his right mind. He was no longer crazy, but, but he was able to think straight and was once more capable of rational conversation and behavior. So there's a big change that happened there. He begged that he might be with Jesus. This is, to me, one of the most encouraging results of deliverance. A greater desire to be with Jesus and to follow Jesus. You see, demons 
diminish and suppress our desire, even as Christians, to be with Jesus and to follow Jesus. And some of you are wondering, why don't I enjoy spending time with Jesus? Why don't I enjoy worshiping Him? Why don't I enjoy going to church? Why don't I enjoy, you know, following and obeying Him as much as I'd like to? Well, maybe there are, I'm not saying you're demon-possessed, but maybe there's demonic activity in your life which is suppressing that desire, which is diminishing that desire. And as you let go of those things, as you repent and release, and and as you rebuke the the, the demons and the demon leaves, your desire to be with Jesus and to follow Jesus will increase dramatically. Isn't that what we all want? Amen. Absolutely. He obeyed Jesus even when Jesus gave him a command that was contrary to his own desire and request. So he had a heightened ability to obey. He said, Lord, Jesus, I want to go with you in the boat to the other side. I want to actively be your disciple and follow you. And Jesus said, no. He said, Jesus didn't allow him. He said, go home. Tell your friends and family how much the Lord has done for you. And he said, yes, Lord. I'll follow you in that way. I'll obey you. Some of you, some of us, struggle to obey the Lord as we'd like to. Maybe there's some demonic activity that is making it more difficult for us to obey the Lord. And when that leaves, it'll be easier for us to obey the Lord. He had a revelation of of who Jesus really was. Jesus says in verse 19, go and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. In verse 20, it says, and he told him that the capitalist how much Jesus had done for him. Now that Lord there is Yahweh. In fact, Luke makes this explicit. He uses Mark as one of his sources. And, and he says, go and tell them how much God has done for you. And then the next verse it says, and he went and told how much Jesus did for him. He had a revelation. As he was delivered from this demon, he had a revelation that this Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, was God. Is God. You want a greater revelation of Jesus? Demons are constantly trying to work to minimize, diminish, even steal your revelation of who Jesus really is. Kick out those squatters and you'll get a... (laughs) Part of the side effect is that you'll get a greater revelation of who Jesus really is. And, 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 And as Sias was sharing with us so powerfully last week, as we see him... As we behold him, we become like him. And, and we can only worship him to the extent that we actually see him. So if, as we see who he really is, not, not only the Son of the Most High God, but God himself, we can worship him as such. And then finally, he witnessed for Jesus. He began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. This gentle man went from being, demon, being a demon-possessed madman to being a Christ-following missionary in his hometown. Well, hometowns, the Decapolis, those ten cities. In fact, he was the first Gentile missionary that we read about in Scripture. You see, when you get delivered from demonic oppression, it also releases God's purpose and mission for your life to a greater extent. I mean, just those things. Peace, you were sitting there. 
He was dressed. Antisocial behavior and stuff was, was removed. He was in his right mind. He was rational and, and could think straight. He, he had a greater desire to be with Jesus and follow Jesus, a greater ability to obey Jesus, a greater revelation of Jesus, and a greater capacity to witness for Jesus. Don't you want that? I want that. I want that. All of those things are things that the devil and his demons try and suppress and diminish and remove. But all of those are things that God wants for all of us. Let's stand. Just close your eyes and focus on the Lord for a moment. Is there an area in your life in which you were that in which you have been experiencing bondage, in which you've been experiencing the oppression, demonic oppression, oppressing your joy, giving you those I mean all those characteristics I was I was talking about, antisocial behavior psychological disorders, overwhelming emotions, self-harming behavior, destructive behavior, um, you know, isolating behavior, all that kind of stuff, impure thoughts and desires and impulses. Any of those things that, even if they're much more mild than, than we see in this account, any of those things that you see in your life, if you do, I just want you to bring them before the Lord. Just in your own words, just lift your hands, just in a gesture of surrender, and just say, Lord, I, I acknowledge these things, these symptoms, as it were, to you, and I ask you to deliver me from them. Thank you, Jesus, that you, the same Jesus that delivered this demon-possessed man, that you are here right now, because you say in your word, we're two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in their midst. Thank you that you are here, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. And thank you, Lord, that, our, that any demons, Lord, any demons that are near you tremble at your presence. Any demons that are trying to attack us or influence us or undermine the work that you are doing in, your, in our lives, that they tremble at your presence, that they are terrified of you. Jesus, you are our deliverer. You are our savior. Now the first step, like I said, and the most important step of receiving deliverance is that when Jesus comes, that you meet him. And meet him just as you are. Don't try and fix yourself and then meet him. Meet him and allow him to fix you. So, I just want you just as a gesture that you're coming to Jesus. If, if you feel you need deliverance of anything in any way, I just want you to bring your handbag and your Bible and stuff with you and just step forward and come, and come here to the front and just say, Lord, symbolically, Jesus, I'm coming to you. Like that demon-possessed man came to you. Like that man that was in such turmoil and bondage came to you. I'm coming to you. I'm going to kneel before you, Jesus, because I know no man can help me. Only you, Jesus. No man can help me. People can maybe deal with the, the, the symptoms. They can maybe try and deal with the symptoms of what I'm struggling with, but, but, but no man can help me. Only you, Jesus. Only you. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. 
May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.